Our text this afternoon is the second part of that passage, so Acts chapter 8, and we'll focus this afternoon on verses 4 through 8, so we'll read that once more. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. After the sermon, we will sing in response to the gospel, Hymn 76, stanzas 1 and 2. Hymn 76, stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we heard from the first part of our text, the verses 1 through 3 of chapter 8. We saw how the church in Jerusalem is experiencing what appears to be an extremely devastating blow. We saw how it looked like all of the progress that had been gained since the ascension of Jesus Christ, all of that progress was suddenly lost as this persecution breaks out. But we could see how the Lord was at work. We know that the Lord is faithful. We know that His plans are not frustrated. On the contrary, our God and Father is using all of that for the perfecting of the faith of his children. He's doing all of this in love. God is using persecution to advance the gospel. This leads to the refinement of the church and we see now this afternoon that it also leads to the growth of the church. This afternoon we're focusing on verses 4 through 8 and we read there that after the persecution begins, so verse 4, those who were scattered they went about preaching the word. Now this is a follow-up of verse 1 of the same chapter where we read there that so on, on that day uh, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now from a human perspective this scattering of course, seems to be a, an extremely negative thing. We talked about that this morning, how you're going along with your life and suddenly you're, you're uprooted. You have to take your, your whole family, your children, and go and uh, be refugees basically somewhere else for uh, an, an uncertain period of time. This is a an extremely difficult trial for these Christians to have to go through. But we have to recognize that what God is doing here is actually sowing the seeds for a future wonderful harvest. That's actually what that word means. So that word is, is used twice here. In verse 1 first, it says, they were scattered. 
throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, and then it's repeated once again in verse 4. Those who were scattered, that word for scattered, it's actually the same word you would use if you were describing what a farmer does. He goes out into his field and he scatters seed. He sows seed. It's a very specific word, and that's used very deliberately here in this portion. This is something that is spoken of already in the Old Testament. This event here is something that was prophesied already so long ago. We can think of the prophet Hosea in, uh, in Hosea chapter 1. He's speaking about the future time. So first, judgment is going to come on, on Israel because of their unbelief. And they are going to be scattered um, throughout the nations. They're going to be in exile. But he says, this is in uh, verse 11, Hosea chapter 1. He says, great will be the day of Jezreel. And Jezreel actually means the day of the Lord's sowing. The Lord sows. Great will be the day of of the Lord's sowing. This is all in preparation for a future harvest. This is exactly what we see in our passage. The people of God are like seeds. Seeds that are being sown in preparation for the growth of the church. Remember, they're being scattered in Judea and Samaria. That's what we read in verse 1. And if we had started, let's say, reading in chapter 1 today, then I think those two names, Judea and Samaria, would really ring a bell for us. If we flip to Acts chapter 1, this is right before Jesus ascends into heaven. This is what he, this is the instruction that he gives to his disciples. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is no surprise. This is no surprise at all. Jesus had this in mind. God the Father had this in mind uh, with respect to the growth and the preservation of his church. Again, the church is very far from being destroyed. Instead of being destroyed, Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of the harvest, he is using this persecution to do exactly what he had in mind all along, something that was prophesied already so long ago, so long before. Bringing the gospel out from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and then finally to the ends of the earth. Because the ones who are scattered are preaching. They're being witnesses of everything. The name of Christ is being proclaimed wider and wider. Remember too, when the apostles first began preaching in Jerusalem in the name of Jesus Christ, and they had that first episode of opposition by the Jewish leaders. This is in Acts chapter 4. This is what the leaders said. This is what the leaders said. They said, in order to stop this thing from spreading any further, let's forbid them from preaching in the name of Jesus. This is their goal. This is their, their, their mission. 
to stop this thing from spreading any further. This is still their goal today, this persecution that's happening now. But the persecution has exactly the opposite effect. The persecution itself, instead of stopping the thing from spreading, the persecution is the thing that causes the spread. It's almost like if you have a very nice and beautiful lawn, your front yard is, is, is perfectly weed-free, and you have a dandelion growing up in the middle of your beautiful lush grass, and it, after it has the period of where it's yellow, it turns white, and all of those seeds on it are ready, you know, ready to go, and you think, I'm gonna take care of this dandelion, I'm gonna stop this thing from spreading any further, and you take your hand and swat that dandelion, and all those seeds, you know, just go flying, well, you're not really stopping that thing from propagating. You're actually causing the propagation yourself because you've smashed this thing and spread the seeds all over. And next thing you know, they're going to pop up all over your whole lawn. This is exactly what we're seeing here. The leaders, you know, led the persecution led by Saul. It was designed to stop this thing from spreading, to stop the church. And so they come down with a hammer onto the church and, and they, they're scattered from there but then they land like seeds all throughout Judea and Samaria and the church grows. It's absolutely wonderful. And this is actually a major shift in the life of the church. It's a shift in how the church is shown to relate to the nations. In the Old Testament, there's this emphasis, there's this emphasis on Israel, the nation of Israel, and then even more specifically, the city of Jerusalem, and then even more specifically and central, the, the, the temple, the holy place, and then even more specifically, the most holy place. This is the, the hot spot, the centrality of the, of the holiness and beauty of God. And this is meant to be something that is very attractive to anyone who sees. So in, in Deuteronomy 4, right when, when Moses is preparing uh, the people to finally go in and take the land. In Deut Deuteronomy 4, he's giving them, once again, the law, and he tells them, this is how you are to live. You are to obey God and live in this fellowship with God. And when the nations around you see this, when they see all of your laws, this is what they're going to say. They're going to say, wow, this is a very wise and discerning nation. How beautiful this is. How wonderful, what a God they have who is so near to them as to listen to them whenever they pray. And so this relationship that Israel has with, with God is this amazingly impressive thing that when the nations around see it, they are drawn to it. And so the, the Israel and Jerusalem and the temple is like a magnet that's supposed to draw people in. Well, here we see sort of a reversal of flow. Instead of, instead of uh, a draw drawing people into Jerusalem, there's this flood outward where the holiness and beauty of God, instead of drawing people in, the holiness and beauty of God himself is flowing out into the rest of the world and, and affecting the rest of the world. There's a picture of this given also in Ezekiel 47. There's the vision that Ezekiel uh, is given where he sees the new temple. This, this is the new and rebuilt temple. And he's looking at the temple and he sees 
this trickle of water coming out of the temple. And it's just a trickle coming out of the threshold. But as it flows away from the temple, that trickle of water gets wider and wider and deeper and deeper, and it keeps gaining in strength the further it gets from the temple. And this river becomes this river of life that wherever it flows in the world, it springs up life. It even flows into the Dead Sea, the, the most lifeless place on earth, and it causes life to grow. Things are growing. Fish are living in the waters again. And that's a picture of the effect that the new temple of God has on the rest of the world. We are the temple of God. God's people are his temple. And we flow into the world and, and create life in the world. This is what's happening here in this text. That's what this persecution is causing. Now, there's something really important that we have to recognize here. The question is, who's doing the preaching? Who's doing the preaching? Well, what do we read in 8 verse 1? There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. This is everyone except the apostles. So who's doing the preaching? Everyone except the apostles. It's just Christians. Believers are preaching. People who love Christ are being persecuted and they have to flee. And wherever they end up, they are sharing their joy and their hope with whoever they come into contact with. These people didn't need a special ordination in order to equip them to tell other people about the mercy that Jesus Christ has had on them. We use the word preaching very narrowly today. We use the word preaching to describe what ordained ministers and, and missionaries are given the task to do. We've been especially appointed to proclaim the word of God in an authoritative way in the church community, and we call that thing preaching. But preaching, what does the word actually mean? It's evangelism. That's actually the word that's here. They evangelized. They brought a good message. They brought a good message. They brought the best message that anyone could ever hear. These Christians are bringing a message of hope with them wherever they go. They planted seeds. And later, the apostles come to confirm that work and to give the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we see that in the next section. Evangelizing. Spreading the word. This is a natural byproduct of faith. If Jesus Christ has made you belong to him, you talk about it. It affects everything that you do. It affects every relationship that you have. This is something that I think as a body of churches, as Canadian Reformed churches, we are understanding more and more. There always used to be this sort of tendency, and maybe the tendency is still alive, a tendency to talk about maybe two different types of churches. There are congregationally focused churches, that are very inward-facing, and then there are missional 
churches that are very outward facing. As if there is an option to, you know, be some kind of church that, you know, whatever you want to be. If there's an option about being this type of church or that type of church, there's no option. There's no option. There's only one kind of church. We think about, uh, yeah, Deuteronomy 4. In the Old Testament, the people of God were probably the most, it was the most guarded, you know, inward-facing community. And yet they were expected to have a very great impact on the nations around them. How much more the church of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. This is a responsibility that is very much given to us. We don't decide whether we prefer to be engaged in evangelism. This is just what we do as Christians. We're called to it. It's a part of life. It's hard to imagine that anyone could ever be in a more inconvenienced position than the believers in our text. Having their lives totally turned upside down. They're refugees. They are refugees. They're fleeing persecution. They're not, they don't know how long they're going to be where they are. They're living in a state of limbo. They don't know when or if they'll ever be able to go back where they've come from. And so they have to go about looking for work to do, trying to figure out how to feed their family, how to integrate into this new uh, uh, society, this new place where they are. They're depending on the people around them to some degree. Would we really think that this is the best time to be engaged with evangelism and start telling our new neighbors about Christ? We're just trying to get established here and we're going to start stirring the pot and, and ruffle feathers here and probably get kicked out from here too. We don't know what's going to happen. Many people might think, you know, maybe we'll bring this up later right now. Let's, let's just get established here. Let's, let's look to our, our own needs and make sure we're okay. And when we start making these relationships, maybe then we can start, you know, talking about Jesus. Well, no. They share their joy immediately with their new neighbors. We're shown this example of the city where Philip went and preached. People there saw the proof of the power and compassion of Jesus Christ. They saw the miracles that Philip was doing, the word that he was preaching. He told them about Christ. He proclaimed Christ to them, and they saw this confirmed. This is the function of miracles in the time of, of Jesus' ministry and in the apostolic age. What were miracles for? What were miracles for? They were to give people a taste of and the promise of what Jesus Christ is ushering in. A time of perfection. A time of glory that is coming. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. All things are being put under his feet. And the restoration in various ways that, that Jesus 
uh, demonstrate and that the apostles are demonstrating this is a promise of full restoration that is to come. Life in the church, life in the church is meant to be a preview, like a sneak preview of life in the full, fully realized kingdom of heaven. The new heavens and the new earth. So when, when, the, when you see a movie trailer, when you see a movie trailer, you're, it, it's just a chunk. It's just a little piece of, of the whole movie. You don't have the whole thing right away. But you get a little piece of it. And the footage that you see is, is footage from the movie itself. And even though the whole thing isn't ready and it's not and it hasn't come yet, you're still seeing a little sneak preview of the real thing, right? That's what church life is like. And that's the kind of effect that we have on the people around us. They're getting a sneak preview of life in the kingdom of heaven, a life of joy and bliss with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what we see there in chapter 8, verse, verses 7 and 8, that the people are seeing proof of this, proof that Jesus lives, proof that Jesus reigns, and there is much joy in that city. People want to be a part of this. They want to live it. So the, the uprooted Christians, these very inconvenienced Christians, they have taken very seriously the fact that as followers of Jesus Christ, they are engaged in whatever work that Jesus Christ is doing. The work, is what, the, the work that Jesus is doing, his disciples follow and do likewise. Christ uses his church to perform his work. Some people talk about this idea that God is busy in the world you know, with or without the church, and the church better figure out what God is doing and sort of get on board with that, or the church will kind of be left behind. Well, no, that's not the case. That's not the case. Christ is gathering his church. He's defending and preserving his church, and the church... By, being, by administering the word to the world, the church is the instrument of God gathering his elect. Remember the trajectory that we saw in Acts chapter 1. What is Jesus up to? He's gathering his people by spreading the gospel first from Jerusalem and then into Judea and into Samaria and then into the ends of the earth. Acts, this, this whole book, this is the story of the very beginning stages of this work. And we'll see this later on. The Apostle Paul recognizes his call to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, to the nations, and he goes. How often do you think about the fact that, that you are Christians, that somehow you have ended up as Christians and not something else. How did that happen? How did it come to be that all of these people with, with Dutch 
very Dutch-sounding last names, are people of God. I have a, a directory, a church directory, sitting on my desk at home, and I've gone through it a couple of times, and I don't think I've seen a single Jewish name in, in that directory. How is that possible? We're all Gentiles, aren't we? We're Gentiles. We are the nations. We're the nations. Someone at some point took very seriously the call to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth and the gospel came to your grandparents and great-grandparents. We have been shown an unspeakable act of mercy. We have been recipients of the grace of God. Our lives have been saved. Isn't it natural to our new hearts to want to share God's love with those who don't know about it? It's sort of like being saved from the ocean. You're, you're in the ocean, you're bobbing up and down in the waves, and, and you're, you're basically a goner, and a ship comes by and someone throws you a life ring and hauls you on board. And when you're standing on deck, and if you see other people in the water, you're going to want to throw that life ring out to them too, aren't you? You'd be eager and happy to do this. How seriously are we taking this today? Is this something that maybe for a little while we have neglected to some degree and, and been a little bit too inward facing? Well, if that's the case, if that's the case, then when is a good time to start thinking about this work again and taking it very seriously? Do we have to be all set up first in a, in a certain way? Do we need a bunch of programs in place? Do we need a bunch of training in place before we can really start doing this in earnest? Do we need, you know, COVID time to be over? No. No, we don't. We don't need any of those things in place. These refugees in our text, they evangelized in the most inconvenient of circumstances. If we lose our buildings and we can't worship in our buildings anymore, we continue to be the church. If we're meeting in our homes, we continue to be the church. It, does, it never becomes not a good time to speak about Christ with anyone whom we meet. The call is always there. How are we following Christ and being his instruments for what he said is his plan? That the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. We have an unspeakable comfort knowing that we ourselves are united to Christ. He comforts us in our sorrows like we heard this morning. He strengthens us in our weaknesses. He emboldens us when we face opposition. And he also equips us by his power, by his spirit, to be his true disciples, to be his fellow workers in his glorious field. And because of the Spirit's work through you, people can come to know the power and love of Christ. People are still afflicted in this life, maybe not with demon possession and things of that sort. But everyone, everyone needs healing. We show them where hope is. We can point them to the one who gives 
healing and relief in this life. Jesus Christ, the anointed king whom every, in whom every kind of person finds their blessing. And through the work of the church, there will be great joy in this world because of him. Amen.